James chapter 3, if you want to find your place there, we'll be there in just a minute. James chapter 3. So verse 1 of James 3 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. And if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. And so he kind of sets up this idea, this construct that, that we can bridle the mouth, we can bridle the tongue, and so be in control of the whole body. And then he's about to knock that construct down. So he says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and they may obey us, and we turn around their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about the very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and it boasteth great things. So it's like a rudder. It's like this, this bit in the horse's mouth. It, you know, it has the same powers of this. And he says, Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. He's using a lot of word pictures here. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. Okay, so he, beginning he's going to say, if you're able to bridle the tongue, if you're able to control it, if you've got control of that, well, you can control the whole body. Okay, but now he says in verse 8, <laughs> but the tongue can no man tame. So it's great if you can, but you can't. So thanks, Paul, or James, I guess. James, thanks, James, for that. He says, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these ought, things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. We're going to come back to the rest of the chapter at the end of the, ser- at the, uh, end of the conclusion of the service, but let's stop our reading there and let's say a word of prayer once more. Father, again, we thank you for the chance to be together and ask your blessing on both the reading of your word and the application that it might have for each of us. And that application would vary from heart to heart tonight. But Lord, I, I trust there'd be a thought that each one of us could grasp and be better helped by uh, tonight and this week in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some estimate that between 80 and 90% of our communication is done non-verbally. And I think I may have even mentioned that statistic recently in a sermon. There, there was a lady named uh, Luann Brizendine. She's a psychiatrist, and she wrote a book called The Female Brain. <laughs> and she, <laughs> I'm going to keep quiet. She said, it, it's a very long book. So she says, men use about... <laughs> Stop it. You're baiting me. Stop. She says, men use about 7,000 words per day, and women use approximately 20,000 words per day. Now, that is debated amongst professionals, how many the sexes would speak. And there are many instances where that would be reversed. And I would probably be related to one of those instances. Um, but the point is this. The words we speak have great impact. And they literally construct our private worlds. And so even if we took the low end of that spectrum and we just combined it for all of us tonight, between male, female, introverted, extroverted, you know, those that like to talk and those that don't, we would all speak between three and seven million words a year. 
that that's a lot of words. We are all speaking a lot of words, and for the most part, those are directed at other people. A few of you do talk to yourselves, and you know who you are, Elizabeth and Mrs. Durrell. <clears throat> I've caught them both. <laughs> um, but the words that we speak are not benign, and they affect the relationships that we have. All of those words are words that are spoken by us, and they have incredible power for building up that which is good and right. Uh, they have the power for edification, for encouragement, um, to be a blessing, to help someone smile, to feel better about their world and their day, uh, to literally build and, and, and direct a life. But those same words and that same mouth and that same tongue has incredible power to destroy, has incredible power to cut, has incredible power to hurt and, and to do it very, very quickly. A couple of years ago, I was cleaning a fence line of leaves at our home in Claremore, and it was something I had done many, many times. And at the time, we lived on one acre. And so we lived kind of in the middle of this property, and the back of our fence was, it was a chain link fence, and so our lot was one acre, and everyone around us was one acre. So beside us and behind us, there were all these one acre lots. And for whatever reason, on our fence line, we collected the majority of the leaves. You ever lived in a house like that before? And so we collected a lot of them. And then my neighbor on the other side of the fence, the, just the way the wind worked and the leaves, they'd all just kind of collect on our fence line. And so I had the boys out there working with me and we began to rake these leaves up and we're, we're putting them in piles and there's just so many of them. We began to burn them. And again, I've done this many times before. And so we finish up our fence line and I tell the boys, um, let's hop the fence and, and let's work on our neighbor's fence line. And so we begin to work his fence line and we're cleaning up all these leaves and we're burning them and trying to be good Christians. And a gust of wind came out of nowhere. And where I was burning the leaves, it was, it was, a, it was a burned out spot, but a gust of wind caught one of the leaves and it drifted over into my neighbor's, another neighbor's yard. And this was, it was about this time of year. And so the Bermuda was, was brown, it was dead. And that leaf landed on that Bermuda and it caught fire. And so I see it, I jump over the other fence, I get to it, and by the time I'm about to get it out, I, I turn away and another little ember from that same spot sprung up. And it, it was faster than I can explain, it was faster than I could even process, but that Bermuda caught fire. And it went under the other neighbor's fence, and then under our fence and under the other neighbor's fence, and it's spreading in four directions, and I'm hopping fences trying to control it, and I couldn't. And so smoke is beginning to rise, the boys are trying to help me. This was a few years ago, so they're you know eight and six now, and they were even younger then. And so I'm, now I'm concerned about, of course, property loss, I'm on the phone to 911, one or two neighbors comes out, I'm like, we need more help. And I am just, I can't even tell you how panicked I was in that moment, I had no control. And now I'm beginning to inhale smoke. The boys are running towards the house, but they're coming back. I don't know what they were doing. I think they were trying to help dad, you know. Um, now I'm concerned about, you know, my sons, not just property anymore, but life. I'm inhaling smoke and I can feel it and it's, it's thicker than I can see, so I can't really see. I can see behind me, but not in front of me any longer. And it just got out of control and scared me to death. And one leaf started all of that. Something I had done before, but this time was different. And the Bible says this, our words 
are like a spark. Our tongue, it's like a fire. It's smart. It starts small, but there's incredible destruction and devastation that all of a sudden can take place because of the words that we speak. Homes that have taken years to build and a lot of sacrifice, and not just by maybe two people, but a host of people can suddenly be destroyed. The lives of two little boys, my life, all was in danger of being lost because of one spark and one leaf. Okay, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'll put your minds at ease. Because Pastor did this to this uh, the other night with the, <laughs> the Purposeful Parenting Arrow Contest. Um, many neighbors came out, and we burned, I burned, about a quarter acre of everybody's property. Um, <laughs> but we got it out, and no, no one was hurt, harmed, and no property was damaged. But there's a point to the story. Because as terrifying as that was for me, um, and, and the potential of loss, our words cause that kind of damage, but on an exponentially greater uh, platform. Saying the wrong words can destroy good that has taken years and years to build in a relationship and in relationships. And, and James here in this passage of scripture, he's using fire as an analogy for how our words can spread quickly, causing untold damage. And they spread and we can't control them. And we think in the moment that the words that we're saying or that vent of frustration or, 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 you know, it just feels good in this moment to be angry and I'm just going to let it rip. But the damage you cause in the heart of another person, those words that might be repeated, you can't control. And once they're out, they're out. And it's like a fire and it gets under that person's fence and under that person's fence and under that person's fence and under your own. And the damage can be so great. Words are powerful. And once they're out, they can't keep it controlled, and they have great consequences. And sometimes we don't feel like we have control of the words that we speak. Our words sometimes can come to our minds so fast. And if you're like me, I'll say something sometimes and then think, why did I say that? Like, pull, pull that back in. Whoa. It's almost like we feel a victim of the things that we just spoke and the things that we just said. But we aren't victims. And the words that come from our mouths are our words. It's your mouth and it's your heart. And in verse 6, James says, those words that come from your mouth, he says, they don't just defile other people. They defile your whole body. Tongue and words defile everything. It stains us. The idea is it, it marks us. Sometimes it's a reproach that we can't just get rid of. It leaves an ugly stain. And our whole body is affected by it. We, we, we get angry, we get upset, or, or we really let loose on someone. Or maybe the reverse, we withhold our words and we're silent. And our mind begins to race with regret. And our stomach churns and ties up in knots. And our fingers can sometimes fidget. And we have difficulty focusing on other things that we should be focusing on. And, and, and maybe we pace relentlessly. In verse 7, look there with me. James says, for every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and things in the sea, we've tamed them. They've been tamed by mankind. He says, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Creatures of all kinds can be and are tamed. We can make bears dance and lion horses prance and lions jumps through hoops. 
Jenny Greenhouse was here a few weeks ago and she was you know, showing me these videos of her dog that she's trained to get inside of her car and open her door for her. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. We can train and do all these things with animals, but can't train, tame, and train our tongue. In verse 9, he says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God or in likeness of Him. And out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. With our words we bless God. We sing His praise. And then we turn around and deride someone. Now look, this, this beats me up as, as much as it would anyone here. I don't know how many Sunday mornings I, I can sit and listen to the choir sing and, and Brother Jesse sing some song that really deeply touches my heart and my soul. You know, a moment ago, just being encouraged by the, the fact that God's Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my mouth. I mean that. It means something to me. And when I sing it, I mean it. And that's coming from my mouth. And those are my words. And I, in doing the best of my ability that I know how to bless God and praise Him, I love Him. I love the Lord. That music means something to me. But I don't know how many times within a day or sometimes even a few hours, I'm unkind and uncivil to my family, to my wife, maybe to one of you. I'm cutting, I'm dismissive, I'm not thoughtful. And this is what James says, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. With our words we bless God. And then we turn around and we, we're derisive, we're critical, and we're negative. And we put down and we belittle people. And James looks at us and says, My brethren, do you understand how duplicitous that is? Do you understand that you ought not to do that? These things ought not so to be. And I look at that and go, Yeah, oh, he's right. And it's easy to beat myself up. It's easy to beat you up. It's easy for us to beat ourselves up, to beat each other up. So why do we struggle so much? Why do we do that? Well, he, he gives us an answer. So look at verse 11. He's, he's going to press the point a little further before he gets there. But he says, Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? The fig tree bear olive berries, vine figs? He's like, no, the, you know, the vine bears, bears the berries and the fig tree bears the figs. He says, that doesn't happen. He says, so no, no fountain could yield both salt water and fresh water. He says, who is a wise man? Okay. Who is endued with knowledge among you? Okay, who's going to get this? Who's going to understand this matter? Who's going to process what's taking place here? And a wise man is going to pay attention to the words I'm about to speak. Because he says, let him show out of good conversation his conduct and his life, his understanding, his works with meekness of wisdom, not flaunting this. This is power under control. We control the tongue. We control our conversation. We control our life and its trajectory with wisdom. It requires and you must have wisdom. That is the answer. But here's the answer to why. Verse 14, why we struggle. But if you have bitter envying... And strife in your hearts. There's the key. He says, glory not. Because you can't. When you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, 
you can with all sincerity bless God. And it's sincere. But he's saying there's still something wrong here. Because a, 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 a fountain that produces fresh water doesn't put off salt water. And so here I am and I'm singing and I'm producing fresh water to God. But then I go home and on the car ride home, there's some salt water coming out directed at my son or at my wife or at someone on the road or at the, you know, the stupid cashier or at one of my coworkers, which would never happen in my work environment, but maybe yours. <laughs> there's some salt water coming out. He says, verse 14, but do you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts? Don't, don't get too cocky here. Glory not. And lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And there is evil work. So why do we struggle? Well, because in our hearts there is envy and there is strife. It's not that we're intent on being evil. It's not that we want to be cruel. It's not, it's, it's not like we're necessarily, and, and, and this would be true of some, but I, I'm coming at this from like the average Christian here. We're not looking around to hurt one another, but we do. We do hurt each other. We bless God. We talk good about Him. We teach our classes. We praise His name. We amen. We sing. And we shouldn't stop doing those things. That should come forth from us. But when we turn around and we're unkind to one another and we're sitting in a service and we're in agreement by consent tonight here, you're in agreement with me. And, and, and we're processing this and we're serving God and we want to produce the right kind of fruit in our life. But then we turn around and we produce fruit that is less. It's because in our hearts there is envying and strife. It's not like we're always looking to burn everything down. I didn't go to the backyard intending to burn everybody's yards down and say, just wait till next spring. It'll look a lot prettier. I burned it all down for you, right? That wasn't my intent. I didn't intend to do that. But I did it. And so do we. We aren't looking to hurt others. But our hearts are. And your heart is. See, Jeremiah gives us this insight. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It's, it's deceitful. It'll trick you. Your own heart deceives you. And all of a sudden, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't intend to come across that, that harsh. But you did. I didn't intend to say those demeaning words. But you did. I didn't intend to leave that person out, but you did. I didn't intend to be that critical or demeaning. You need to understand my heart. I don't need to understand your heart. I heard your words and they hurt and they were cutting and they were unkind and you're mean because there's envying and striving in our hearts. Envying, it's a feeling of discontented, not content, not happy with my lot in life, not as it compares to yours or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, their qualities, or luck. Envy causes all sorts of problems in our relationships. We like what they have 
more than what we have. We like the attention that they get, the position they occupy, the body they have, the stuff they have, the kids, the wife, the husband, the relationships, the job, the house, the car, the toys, the vacation, the list goes on. You name it. We like what they have more than what we have. And suddenly we have a longing within us and resentment that builds in our own hearts. And we were happy and we were content, but then we saw them or what they have and were discontent. And now there is bitter envying in our heart and our heart is deceitful and that envy takes root there. And he says, and strife. Strife, it is an exertion or contention for superiority. It's this desire to put oneself forward and first. It takes place in many forms. But one that happens frequently maybe in a marriage relationship would be like this. I am right and you, you are wrong. And I may not say it that clearly, but that is what I'm communicating. Don't care how that affects you. I'm not concerned about your feelings. I'm concerned about the way I feel. The way I do things is better than the way you do things. My politics are right. Yours are wrong. I'm going to moralize this. My dress code and my standards are right, or, my, my, or the standards that you hold are wrong, and I'm right. The way I think is right. See, my preferences, I know they're just my preferences, but they are right preferences. Envying and strife. And we communicate without saying it, you're dumb. You aren't that smart. Well, you just don't know any better. You're ignorant. You're not enlightened. You're not spiritual. You're too spiritual. You're too young. You're too old. The list goes on. And the point is this. Envying and strife in our hearts frequently are guests there. And sometimes they become permanent residents. And they cause all sorts of problems for us. We carry tension with us and inside of us toward others. And no wonder it comes out of our mouths. Our words and our attitudes and even our silence and our withdrawal from others betrays the condition of our hearts. And so frequently other people around us are better at judging us, even though we disdain their judgment because they're the ones that listen to us, that watch us, that hear us, and are mistreated by us. So if we want to fix our words, we have to first fix our hearts. We can't fix our words. This is what James is saying. If anyone, first part of the, the passage, if anyone can bridle his tongue, control it, wow, he can control his whole body, this guy's the man. All right. No one can do that. Nobody can do that. Why? Because it's not about controlling your tongue. It's not about controlling your words. It's about working on your heart. It's about fixing the heart. Okay, let me prove it to you. Our words come from our hearts. And there's a direct connection between them. So Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn there, you can. Verse 43. He says, For a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, and neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. 
Okay, when it comes to our words, when it comes to our communication, what is the fruit of our heart? It is the words that we speak. It's what we're saying. Someone who has words that are edifying and encouraging. Someone with a smile on their face. Someone who's not withdrawn but is engaged and paying attention and serving others with their words and being a help and encouragement. Okay, that's a good tree. And that heart, I guarantee you, if you were able to look inside, it's coming from a good, it's a good fruit. It's coming from a good tree. Someone who's complaining, who's bitter, who's angry, who's withdrawn, who's sullen, who never smiles and has no joy. Okay, we see the fruit. So what do we know about the tree? Okay, you understand the point. This is what Jesus is saying. And he continues. He says, for if thorns men do gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. See, if we have a mouth problem, if we're pouty, if we're, if we're angry, if, if, if we can't say or find positive things in the world around us, if we're consistently this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We don't have a mouth problem. We have a heart problem. Amen. I told pastor this would be a shorter message, and I straight up lied about it. We're about not even halfway through here. <clears throat> This is a story that John Orberg wrote in a book called Soul Keeping. And he says there once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed, the stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves, debris that might pollute the water, but his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs were untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silted, silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. And for a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play in it. Some people in town began to grow ill. All noticed the sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream. And the life of the stream depended on the keeper. So the city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. And after yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home and the village came back to life. The, village, the life of the village depended on the health of the stream. And I would say this tonight. The stream is your life. 
you're the keeper. Your heart is the keeper. And if you want better control of your words, then like the keeper of the stream, you have to take better care of your heart. See, if you want what happens downstream to be beautiful, then care for the source of the stream. When our minds are allowed, emphasis on the word allowed, to think negative thoughts, when you let those things go through you, unchallenged, unchecked, and you choose to just say, you know what, I'm just going to let whatever comes to my mind be a thought. I'm not going to check myself. I'm just going to go unfiltered, which is the way the majority of people live their life. I'm just going to let it go unchecked. Then wrong ideas are formed. And that wrong, that sin trickles from the heart into the mouth and out into your world. And words are powerful and they have consequences. And so now it affects the heart of your spouse, the quality of your relationship and of your home and the lives of your children. It impacts your job. It impacts our church and it forever taints and impacts and directs eternity. Because you didn't keep the stream, the source of it. And Jesus said, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. See, words may feel accidental in the moment, but they never really are. So how do we care for our heart? Well, we need to cleanse our hearts. We need to cleanse them continually. I don't know about you, but in our home, um, our dishes get dirty, and it seems like the sink is filled 500 times a day, right? And I mean, we have little kids right now, of course, and so, you know, we're just always washing the dishes because they're always getting dirty. Our cars need consistent cleaning. A lot of them are going to be cleaned after this week. We clean them. Our bodies, I assume and hope you clean them every day, right? We're in the process of constantly cleaning in our world, but we neglect our heart and cleansing our soul. Everything gets dirty from the filth of this world, and so do our souls and our hearts. Keep it clean every day. Clean it. It's going to get dirty. So understand that and know that and accept that and work and make effort at keeping your heart clean. We need to give at least as much attention to cleaning our hearts as we do to cleaning our bodies. In James chapter 4, verse 8, a chapter later, James would say this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Okay, so he says this, if you, if you want to get all this right, you want wisdom from above, then you're going to have to get close to God. But he says this next, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Okay, I might say that to my kids, like go cleanse your hands, you sinners. It means literally go wash your hands. That's not what he's saying here. He is saying this, get clean. Your hands are dirty. Your, 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 your soul is dirty. Your heart is dirty. It's, it's figurative. So clean it. Draw nigh to God and clean it and purify. He says, your hearts, ye double-minded. See, from the same mouth comes praise to God and blessing to God and love for some people. And out of that same mouth and that same heart comes forth cursing and lack of kindness and ill intent 
and anger and frustration and spewing out things that should never come out of the mouth. And he says this, look, okay, I get it, it's going to happen, but you're double-minded. And so stop, draw nigh to God and cleanse your hands and purify your heart. Get it clean every day. Work on a clean heart and soul. Get close to God. Get right with Him. We must invite on a continual basis the Holy Spirit into our lives. And in order to do that, we are going to have to invest in, of our resources into the things that He cares about. Well, what resources are at my disposal? Well, my thoughts are. My thoughts are. My time is. Well, I, I, you know, I got a job and I've got uh, responsibilities and kids. And family. I understand all that. But we all have time. Time when we're driving. Time to think. Time even on the job. Where we can turn our thoughts and our hearts over to the Lord and invite His presence. When we don't know what to say, He helps us. When there are things we should not say, He guides us. But we need to be attentive to His voice and responsive to His Spirit. And we need to attend our resources, our attention, our thinking, our time. You know, I, I, I could hit the old drum beat, and I will for a second here. We, we could read His Word every day, and you should. I, I, I think that just goes without saying, though. Like, that's a foregone conclusion. We have more access to the Bible than we've ever had. We have no excuse for not reading our Bible. And we have all the, all the, all the place and technology to do that. But we need to be attentive to his voice and to his presence and inviting him. The psalmist in chapter 141 said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. We need to invite his help. God, help my heart. Help my lips. Help my mouth. Help me to be a better man. God, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better friend, a better coworker. I want to, for my Purposes, I want to be a better staff member here. I want to be a better husband to Elizabeth. See, we need a sense of openness to His presence and Spirit throughout our day. And when our heart runs through the filter of God and His Word, what our tongue produces begins to change. And it's not easy. It requires our effort and our resources. Never minimize quality time with the Lord in your life. You can't change your tongue. No man can tame it. But you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, change your heart. And when your heart is changed, your words will be too. It's just like the keeper of the stream. Keep the stream. Keep the heart. And what flows from it will be good and right and positive. We need to take careful care of our hearts. And we need to do so for the sake of other people and for the sake of eternity. See, the people we struggle to control our tongues with the most are usually those closest to us. If we were honest tonight, it would be our families and our homes where we struggle the most. And, and I would just tell you tonight, that is a universal struggle to treat those closest to you with love and respect. We are typically more careful with our words and with our speech with those that we're not so close to. And so maybe in this environment, we'd be a little more guarded or we, I hope you are. I hope you're thoughtful about that. But when we have this familiarity with those in our lives, we're tempted to drop our standards and our words with them. We are not careful to not offend. And sometimes we even do it on purpose. Why do we do that? Well, I propose 
It's because we know they love us. We know they will forgive us. And so we allow ourselves to cross lines of decency. They're family. They're stuck with me. A few cross words aren't going to cause them to walk out the door. No, not today. But you don't have control of those words once they're out. And once that fire's lit, you don't know if it's going to be not a big deal or a really big deal. You don't have that kind of control. We fail to pay special attention to our words, and we let them just spill out. But when we let our words spill out, what comes out is often cutting, it's nasty, it's critical, it's accusatory, and we even use the absence of our words, our silence, as a weapon. And at this point in our lives, we're double-minded. It's, it's all salt water from here. The Lord has not set a watch over our mouth. We're not walking in the Spirit. We are walking in the desires of our flesh. And sometimes our flesh, I retract that, at all times our flesh likes to be gratified. It likes to be gratified. And it can feel good to just say whatever comes to mind. But is this what God intends for His followers? And the answer, of course, is no. See, it's not just our assault but it's our thoughtless or unwise words that also affect our loved ones. See, we, we think, well, maybe I'll just um, not be so angry or so bitter, but sometimes it's just the fact this. We're just not thinking. And whatever comes to our minds, there's no filter. And we're not asking God to help us. And we're not drawing nigh to Him. And our hands aren't clean. And so whatever comes to mind, it comes to mind. I want you to turn quickly to Genesis chapter 37 with me. Genesis chapter 37. And I'm going to hasten at this point. There are things we would say to others that we ought too often carelessly allow ourselves to say to those closest to us that we would never say to other people. The illustration here would be from Genesis 37. And Joseph, throughout his life, often used words for that which was good and right. But there is this instance that stands out. And I, and I just want to highlight this tonight to help us understand the point I'm trying to make. First one says this, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Now stop. Problem one. Okay, we know the story. Here he is. Joseph's dad loves him more. Now look, as a parent, that is not a wise thing to do. You might feel that in your heart, but to express that openly and, and not to filter that, that's a mistake. So here we already have one instance of a man with no filter, and he's just going to express love without thinking about the consequences of his expression. Okay, verse 4. Okay, so like we're going to see here in just a moment, like father, like son. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Okay, so dad caused a lot of problems because of his thoughtlessness. He wasn't evil, it just wasn't wise. Verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brethren and they hated him yet the more. Okay, 
Did Joseph have to tell his brethren about his dream? No. So here we have a father who's not being wise with his words and actions, what he's communicating. And here we have a son who's doing the same. Verse 6, And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. This is cool, guys. I'm better than you. And you're all worshiping and bow down before me. And his brethren said unto him, verse 8, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams. And watch these next few words. And for his words. Did he have to say those things? Or was he just being thoughtless? Whatever way you want to interpret it, I would say this. The words were unnecessary. And so they also caused additional and extra unnecessary strife in his home. In some measure, the pain Joseph would experience in time was brought about by his own words. That there is no way justify what his brothers did. But he spoke these words. His father did something he couldn't control, but he did something that he could very well control. Sometimes we do the same thing in our own families and with our spouse. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. No, but you're being thoughtless. You're saying too much. You're not being wise. And, and because of your thoughtlessness, you're stirring up negative emotions that don't need to be there. There's unnecessary strife because of your words, because you're saying too much. We bring pain into our lives, and sometimes it's not because of sinful words, but unnecessary or harmful words. And to use James' words tonight, he would say this, Brethren, these things ought not so to be. We need to keep our hearts. We need to ask God to help us better control our words. We need to work at not being the source, as Joseph was, of hate, of dislike, or contempt because of what we spoke. See, our words tonight, they're not just used to destroy. They can also be used to build. They can also be used to edify. They can also be used to help. And when the Lord has control of our hearts, then our mouths and our world, they benefit. Okay, I want you to turn back to our passage tonight. James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Who's paying attention? Who's going to get this? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have better envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, where there's envying and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom, verse 17, that is from above is first pure. So this is the kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of one who has cleansed his hands, purified his, hearts, his heart, and drawn nigh to God. 
It's pure, and then it's peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is shown in peace of them that make peace. So here's a man who's cleansed his heart. He's drawn nigh to God. And he sings from his heart and honors God. And he lifts his voice in prayer to God. And instead of getting up from prayer and being uncivil, thoughtless, the loved ones in his life, he gets up from prayer. And because the work of the Holy Spirit is coming out of his heart, out of his mouth, comes kindness and peace and thoughtfulness. Is he perfect? No. But he's at peace. And he causes and brings peace to an envy-laden and strife-filled world. And I'm going to tell you, that's salt and light. If you want to make a difference, cleanse your hands. If you want to make a difference, get your heart right. Draw nigh to God and be without hypocrisy. Be without double-mindedness. This is the challenge. If you want better words, take better and more careful care of your heart.